to Battle Red Radio. This evening, I'm joined by our good old pal, BFD, and the one only, Diana Moskovitz from The Defector, uh, formerly of you know, Deadspin, kind of like their, their new, more beautiful thing that they created out of the ashes of Deadspin, and she's their investigations editor over there. Um, she also wrote a really great article about the Deshaun Watson sexual assault allegations and kind of covers you know sexual assaults in sports and and media as well too, um, as well. And she's an expert on the subject, so we kind of we wanted to bring her on to tonight to kind of talk about the Watson situation, how it's kind of you know strange as him practicing and not practicing, and uh, what the future may lie ahead for him, along with some of the things that I guess kind of happened as well. This you know, going back to January, go back to last year, and she also wrote a really great piece called "There's Nothing Complicated About the Deshaun Watson Allegations." How are you doing tonight, Diana? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. How are you doing, BFD? So I, I just want to say that I, I've been excited about getting Diana on the show because I think she just does such a great job breaking with, down what's going on. But I say excited, but man, I hate everything right now when it comes to football because of, and it's really, you know, 50-year-old men shouldn't have heroes and Deshaun Watson was a hero. And that kind of sucks to see the path that he's gone down. And then with what was released, was it Sunday? Man, that's going down some deep, dark tunnels I really didn't expect. So, um, yeah, thanks for thanks for being on. And uh, this is going to be uh, – we're going to have some, some conversations here, which I'm looking forward to. All right. Yeah, and, like, the big news with Watson is that training camp started in the NFL this past weekend, and he showed up, I guess, cause be, because he didn't want to get fined you know, $50,000 a day. So he was there until yesterday – there is some, um, you know, there's a Pruder film of him getting his foot looked at the training table, uh, you know, whether he, he was injured or not or faking an injury because pads are coming on tomorrow. He was not there practice today whenever the pads came on. And so, as you remember, going back to last year, after the Texans hired Nick Casario to be the general manager, Watson requested a trade. They hired David Cole to be the head coach. He still wanted a trade. And shortly after that came out that uh, multiple women were filing sexual assault uh, sexual assault allegations come out against Watson, and those total 23, but now it's an official 22 because one of the women uh, dropped out due to privacy reasons to keep her name you know, out of the public sphere, uh, requiring for any sort of you know, civil lawsuit allegations as well, too. Um, so as you wrote in your article, Diana, you know, this kind of started with one woman coming out and really kind of like a, a weird kind of Twitter thing that happened, and then Watson addressing it by ignoring everything completely. But with one woman kind of coming out and then more and more and more uh, saying the same similar thing happens to them, is that kind of typical how a situation like this plays out whenever you have somebody who's actually out there, you know, uh, committing, you know, crimes like this? You know, I would say I, I'm hesitant to use the word typical, but it's a very familiar pattern, right? Um, the example I like to give, especially for folks who follow sports, is with Larry Nasser, where it can be easy to forget because it, it, hundreds of women, many but not exclusively gymnasts, have said that he sexually abused them under the guise of providing them medical treatment. Um, but that started with just two gymnasts um, and only one using her name at the time, Rachel Denhollander, talking to the Indianapolis star. And again, it, it went from two to now hundreds. And you can see something with what happened with Bill Cosby that started with just one woman, Andrea Constant, going to the police. And um, we can look at what happened with Harvey Weinstein that started with a small group of women who spoke to the New York Times and the New Yorker and then just kept ballooning and, and ballooning. And so, you get I, I, I don't quite like the word typical because it almost feels a, a little bit mundane, like this is just what happens. But it certainly does tend to happen, you know, in these cases 
I, I always do want to do the asterisk of this does not mean that if you know dozens of women come forward, something didn't happen, right? Because then someone can turn this on this head and, and say, well, in this case, only one or two people came forward. So it must not be true, right, Diana? Because you said that's typical. Um, I just think um, it can be one, it can be many, it could be dozens, it could be hundreds, it could be two, it could be three. I just like to point out that this is... I think, especially with Watson, there were people who were just surprised by the number. And and they were surprised because Watson had had such a sterling reputation in the media and, and in public spaces. Um, but I don't think people should be surprised because of the number, because, like I said, with Harvey Weinstein, with Larry Nasser, with Bill Cosby, with so many other cases that came out of Me Too, we have seen this happen. It is not unprecedented and it should not be the number that is surprising you know it is just people feel that way because he had had a very good reputation mm -hmm. yeah i know like i guess i kind of were like that because i mean i'm not an expert in this at all but just like being a fan somebody follows the game and you know whenever you hear like you know one person came forward a few people come forward you know, it, it seems like there's a lot more to unearth here and to see actually what's going on to kind of like hold your opinion on it and then, which is then whenever it mounts up to like 22 and there's that much of a trend, like that much of a signal going on, it seems like for sure, like something very malicious happened here. And uh, the idea of holding your opinion kind of doesn't really you know, matter at a certain point whenever you have numbers like that, they kind of come forward. And so it's just kind of from my own experience with how this, this thing kind of you know, rolled out from like some weird tweet from a lawyer at like 1030 on a Sunday night to Watson, you know, p hastily posting something on a, a iPhone note and then tweeting it. And then the span of, you know, five weeks, there was 23 women that came forward and more kind of graphic, you know, descriptions of what he was doing uh, to these massage therapists whenever they you know, came over to, I guess, do their job, perform their service. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and again, I always like to tell folks that um, I, I think that as people want a key moment or a thing that they can look for. Like, this is the moment that, you know, I know the person did it, or this is the moment that, you know, I know people are guilty. And I always just like to tell people it's, it's really okay to say nothing, you know, um, and, and to just ignore. And I think that is sometimes the hardest part for people in sports media and even just sports fans, because there is so much that is working to make us feel like we know these players, right? Mm -hmm. Like, profile after profile after profile after profile and it's the sports illustrated cover and it's the madden cover and it's you know the profiles and the players tribute and it's and they really want you to feel like you know them and we don't we we know about an aspect of them i know a lot about deshaun watson as a football player i do but how much do any of us really know about what he is or is not like off the field genuinely and truly. And, and the truth is that's very little. And I think that's why people, they want this magic number. Like, okay, you can start believing everything at, you know, this is the magic number of lawsuits. This is the magic number of accusations. And you, know, I prefer to instead come from it of just, let's all start with just admitting what we don't know. You know, uh, because there is still even so much that I, as a reporter and other reporters who have covered this even, you know, more so than I have, there's been multiple people writing about this and reporting on it. There's still so much we don't know. There's still so much that we don't know. And it's okay to admit that um, and to admit that you don't know everything about Deshaun Watson, but you can look at everything that has been filed and had been said and wow, this looks really bad. And this is a lot of people with very similar stories, you know, and either this is the one of the greatest orchestration conspiracy is being done by the Houston Texans. <laughs> or how did so many people all manage to come forward and say they had such similar experiences, you know? Um, and, and that's, you know, what I, what I keep coming back to. And so I, I understand the desire for this magic number where it's like, yes, you can, you know, believe everything now or just believe everything now. Um, but I, I don't think it, it's quite that black and white. And I think this is something where a lot of people and it's uncomfortable, but you kind of have to be okay just living in that. I don't know zone.
Yeah, I th- and that's kind of the you know, approach I've taken whenever I've had any conversations about it. It's like, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think really anybody knows until, I guess, more information kind of comes out through the court cases. Um, like you mentioned, like, I think what you don't know is kind of more valuable than that. Because, like, Watson, I know from his perspective, he just says he just cares about his name, his reputation. He's treated every woman, you know, perfectly or however exactly as he's worded it. And now I know about the women are the kind of graphic descriptions of, you know, what they went through whenever they went to, you know, give Watson massages. Uh, so I know you mentioned earlier about the stories being, you know, pretty similar. So I guess what I read was that he would Instagram or he would send messages usually on Instagram. They would meet him for a massage and then he would do things like, you know, get naked when that's atypical. He would request for them to like, you know, rub around his thighs and ask for them to move closer up. And, you know, and some, even the women, you know, stated that he requested it that, you know, they perform oral sex on him and, you know, rub his butt, and, you know, a, variety, a wide variety of different things, but it all kind of fits like the same like profile. Um, am I, am I speaking correctly on that from, you know, some of the reporting that you've done, the descriptions you've read about the civil cases that have been filed so far? Right. So um, I would say, and I'm also going to defer to a colleague of mine, Kaylin Collar, who did a really great story um, back when there was as wild as this sounds, um, only 16 lawsuits that were filed against Deshaun Watson. The headline is, you know, the 16 lawsuits filed against Deshaun Watson tell one story. There's now more than 16, but a lot of these patterns hold. And they were talking about how you know, again, almost con- extremely consistently, it starts with him reaching out on social media, usually Instagram. Um, from there, he would request a massage. He would set it up in a location that was very private. He would then insist on getting completely naked during the massage. Uh, oftentimes would remove his towel during the massage and not put it back on. Um, he would then you know, consistently they say that he said he wanted them to work on his gluteal muscles, his groin, the buttocks and inner thighs. He's kind of close, coaxing them closer and closer to going to be graphic, but this is what the women said happened. Like basically trying to get them closer to his penis and his anus. Um, Many of the lawsuits then say Watson either tried to or did touch them with his penis while they were working on him. Um, From there, there are, um, a few lawsuits where they say Watson forced them to perform oral sex. Um, and then there's even more I could go on from there. But those are um, a lot of the key consistencies. Um, again, there are some differences because I could say from experience, when you have so many people come forward, it, it's never going to be exactly the same because um, that's how human interaction works. But there are, as you said, a lot of consistencies, um, especially in how he would first approach the women um, and then how they say he then, you know, initially was interacting with them and would start out with the massage. Um, and as you said before, as the women said in their lawsuits and other pro- professional, excuse me, as other professional massage therapists have said, um, yeah, a lot of this is is very atypical, um, especially uh, clearly him wanting to be naked during the massage. Um, and there are, I think that's what we put it, you know, professional guidelines that they are all trying to follow as professionals, um, that he is then, according to these women, pushing them into past and trying to get them to break during their job. Yeah. And, and it's a really kind of like, I don't know, a weird environment, I guess. Like, it's very personable, you know, like to be like performing that work and then somebody in that setting that's had circumstances too. And so, like, it does seem like a profession where, like, there has to be lines drawn, like, really, like, kind of like cold, like, set rules of this is, this is what, you know, I'm doing, this is it. And, uh, and it seemed like pretty, like, immediately Watson broke those whenever these women went to these massages. Have you, have you, like, reported or heard of anything kind of similar? you know, in the setting for massage therapists, because it does seem like it's a setting where like more and more of this sort of thing would actually occur, you know, just because of the setting involved with it. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I do want to push back on this idea that like the setting is, is weird or, or strange because I think what gets lost in here is, is this is their workplace. Like mm-hmm. these women are doing work. And while it might not be my workplace or your workplace, it is their workplace. This is about harassment and sexual assault happening in a workplace. Full stop. That's it. 
you know, and so I don't think there should be any qualifiers about like, oh, well, you know, this isn't like normal work. It is work, period, full stop. These women have a right to not be harassed, certainly to not be sexually assaulted in their workplace like every other human being on earth. Full stop. It does not matter what that work is. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And I, um, I, I agree with that. I'm just saying, like, just the environment itself, like, it, it does seem like an environment where, you know, there has to be, like, rules, like, cold, hard, and set, you know, to make sure that nothing kind of gets past what it should be, which is work. Like, this is the job that they're doing. Right. And also, again, that's why every workplace has, has boundaries, right? I, there are boundaries at Defector, right? Um, you whether or not you realize it have your own like informal boundaries um and certainly there are in massage therapy um i think you know i i can say and again i'm actually going to point to my amazing colleague kaylin collar who um and i helped edit this story um but she did a story where she was talking to massage therapists as well as nfl players uh current and former and they were all saying, especially the therapists she talked to, some of whom had worked with athletes, that, um, you know, for them, this had not happened with the athletes they worked with, but they had certainly known it to happen and, and had it happened to them um, in other situations with other people. Like, this does happen, you know, unfortunately, in this industry. Um, you know, I would say that I have not read reporting on this happening with massage therapists who work with athletes that said it doesn't mean it doesn't happen it it all i would draw from that is that no one has been willing to speak about it um on the record or or even just not using their name because probably like with these women who filed their lawsuits they are going to be afraid of losing their job losing their income losing their connections so does not hearing about it doesn't mean it's it's not you know happening um so, yeah, I, I like I said, the best I could say is, you know, on the record, women have talked about it happening outside of their work with athletes. And I don't know that I'd want to read too much in, you know, the lack of silence about if it has happened with other athletes or not, because it is certainly possible. And it's, you know, very much possible that just it happens and no one wants to talk about it because they know there will be professional and personal consequences mm -hmm. for it. That makes sense. Um, and so I, I know like of the you know, official 22 accusers, five of them have spoken to the Houston police according to their representative lawyer, Tony Busby. And there are two current active criminal investigations pertaining to an incident of sexual assault regarding Deshaun Watson. Uh, do you think this is going to head to civil court and that's where all this is going to take place? Or do you think there are chances that Watson will eventually face criminal charges? Um, well, right now it is just in, in civil court. Like they filed their lawsuits. So, you know, it's there and those will move forward. Um, people like to ask me how long they will take. And I say, I don't know. Um, because I'm, who it's who knows, you know, there could be news tomorrow that a settlement has been reached, although I doubt that. Um, or you know, these cases can go on for years, you know, before they go to a trial or not. Um, so anyone who guesses is, is just guessing. Who, who knows how long things take in our very, very Byzantine court system. You know, as for criminal charges, Houston police have been saying very, 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 very little about this case. Um, and so that, you know, again, in full disclosure, it just kind of puts us in a guessing game, really, where who knows? I mean, the, the honest answer is nobody knows if criminal charges who are going to be filed, except for Houston police, and they've decided they don't want to say anything about this, right? Mm -hmm. So the, it is possible. Of course it is possible. Will it happen? Who knows? You know, I have, honestly, I, I anything I'd say would just be a guess, and so I, all I can say is they say they're, it, invest they're investigating but again who knows how seriously they're taking this investigation maybe they have two officers on it maybe they have 10 i don't know um investigations could come together very quickly they also could drag on for years there is no limitation that says they must complete an investigation in six months a year or you know or whatnot houston pd can leave this open as long as they want to right um so that's really, again, just like the big unknown. Who knows? The truth is, 
who knows mm-hmm. except for Houston PD and they're not saying a damn thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things I've kind of learned because as somebody who doesn't really know anything about the law whatsoever, um, is that how long the, the process is, you know, uh, there's reasons for it. Make sure that you know, all the evidence is prevent, prevent, uh, presented. Nobody is, you know, ch- charged unfairly that the right decisions made, the right punishments are handed off if somebody's found guilty. And so I understand that you know, better now just how long the process is taken. Um, do you have any idea at all like when this thing may actually head to civil court? Or is there actually a chance that they just settle out of court and Watson kind of, you know, pay, make, you know pays us some money to make this kind of, you know, stop so it doesn't actually go that far? You know, I, I would say that if it does go to a trial, that's always a slow process. Like that would be like a year or two away. The process of going to trial, you know, typically takes a year or two. It's just it's a long process as it is supposed to be so that we can, in theory, sorry, I'm doing air quotes, in theory, have, um, you know, fair and equitable trials where all of a defendant's rights are upheld. Right. So. That's just a ways away if they go to trial. Typically, these don't go to trial. I cover the Derrick Rose trial, so I know that they can go to trial. Typically, a civil lawsuit ends in settlement. That does not mean Deshaun Watson will settle. I'm just saying that's statistically what tends to happen in these cases. Um, You know, beyond that, in terms of, like, when people, you know, they'll ask me, like, you know, what should Watson, you know, what should he do? And I always like to say, you know, I, I think what sh- we should be focusing on is what should not be done, you know, or, or being prescribed for Watson or anybody is don't do the behavior outlined in these lawsuits. Um, don't do that. As obvious as that sounds, but sometimes I, I guess it needs saying, you know, Um Everything beyond that at this point, you know, for better or for worse, it's just legal strategy. You know, Watson's legal team is going to do what they think is best for them. And the legal team for all these women will do what they think is best for their case. And so from here on out, um, it's for better or for worse, you know, it's just about strategy. And if at some point, you know, Deshaun Watson's legal team decides the best strategy is for him to settle, they will start settlement talk. And if they don't, they will keep pushing toward a trial. That's kind of it. I'm going to interject. Sorry, Matt. Mm -hmm. One thing I would like for you to talk about, because this is what really grabbed me by the throat, Mm -hmm. is how the NFL is treating the the women and how their process kind of puts them behind the eight ball as far as being, uh, you know, Forcing the yeah, forcing them to present their evidence to the NFL, and they're they're showing all their cards according to what the NFL wants them to do. So you did a fantastic thread on that. I'd love for you to talk about it. Yeah, and and I should say that um, especially for folks who follow more than one sport, I um, the NFL system for better or for worse is the one I know the best. But a lot of these principles apply to investigations done by other leagues as well, right? Um. There, there is some difference, but I do think the kind of broader power dynamics are replicated, you know, with NHL investigations, MLB investigations, um, which is that, you know, I always like to start out by saying, you know, the, the big issue here is who has a voice and who does not, and who, who has the powers, the NFL, and then who has some voice and in some agency are the players vis-a-vis having their union, the NFLPA, right? And so they can negotiate, you know, with the NFL over things like how investigations should unfold. Um, who does not have any voice and how any of this unfolds are non-players. So wives, spouses, partners, you know, this could also be like children's cousins, you know, they don't have any voice. They have not been a part of CBA negotiations. You know, Roger Goodell is not meeting with their representatives that we know of. Um, so it's a system that is just not created with them in mind, right? What's What this is about is the NFL protecting its power and its money and its reputation and the players in their own way also trying to protect the smaller but still significant base of, of power and finance, you know, that they have as well. Um, and so basically the issue is when the NFL does an investigation, um, if that decision is appealed by the player, which if you're an NFL fan, you know, happens quite a bit. It felt like at one point, you know, every decision was being appealed. Um, the league that has to turn over to the player all of its evidence, 
which sounds great, right? You're like, that sounds fair. That sounds like court, of course. Um, the problem is that then you can see how this would conflict with, say, the Deshaun Watson civil lawsuits. So if you're suing Deshaun Watson, um, you're doing what everyone does, which is you are gathering all of the evidence for your case. You're trying to interview people, find documents. You want to build the strongest case possible. That's just how the system works, right? Um, you will eventually have to turn that over to Deshaun Watson's defense lawyers in a process called discovery. Again, part of our court system, trying to be fair, part of one of many reasons why it takes so, so dang long. Okay. Um, if you then cooperate with the NFL investigation, theory you would then give them all this evidence too but that then means when deshaun watson says no this decision is bullshit i'm appealing it the nfl is now giving deshaun watson all of your evidence and because court cases as we've discussed take a really long time it means you would be potentially giving deshaun watson all the evidence you have against him before you're mandated to by the court in your own civil case you know or this comes a criminal you have discovery to criminal cases take a really long time so this would be like potentially years before you would have to do that in a court case so you're like wait a minute why would i give them all the evidence before i have to and in the realm that if we're being honest has the lowest stakes it's just the nfl it is not civil court it is certainly not criminal court so it is the lowest stakes you know, in some ways, the venue that has the least to offer these women, because what uh, the end result is going to be like, he gets suspended some games. Like, oh, OK. All right. Um, but so that and so they're going to give the NFL other evidence, which is then going to turn it over to Deshaun Watson, which then again, as all our NFL fans know, because we've seen this happen. If Deshaun then decides to sue the NFL, we've all seen this happen. We know it's a possibility. He can then take those documents, file them in court as part of his evidence. They now become a public record. Recent example, this is what happened in the Ezekiel Elliott case. Every single piece of evidence that the woman in that case gave the NFL, boom, public record, was filed with the court. Anyone could read it. Right or wrong, anyone could read a lot of deeply personal information about both of them. Um, and so that is something that any woman going through and then she would say, well, wait, this could involve a man, too. It's just a non-player. Has to take into consideration. And so what happens is, understandably, you do not need to be a brilliant legal mind to be like, man, that sounds like a bad idea. Don't cooperate with the NFL investigation. Pursue your civil case. You know, if you think it's advantageous, cooperate with police. Although there are very good reasons to not cooperate with the police, as we've all been learning you know belatedly but thankfully in this country thanks to black lives matter right um yeah don't cooperate with the nfl who like again strategy 101 why would you give the opposing party all the evidence until you had to right um and so this will come up this is one of many reasons why people there are lots of reasons to not cooperate with the nfl this is just one um and then what happens which was you saw a bit of with uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, and his defense team, which is led by Rusty Hart, are like, oh, well, we're cooperating with the NFL. We don't understand why they won't cooperate with the NFL. Um, and you know what? I get it. That's Rusty's job. That's Rusty's job right there. He's just doing his job. Um, but I always like to remind people that um, there is another perspective, which it is not Rusty's job to illuminate, which is that there's a lot of bad reasons to cooperate with an NFL investigation. You know, one that comes up often with domestic violence is that people don't want to cooperate because if they cooperate, all that's going to do is get this player cut. And now if you are still in a relationship or even if you're not, but you've got a kid and you're counting on spousal support, on child support. So you're going to cooperate so the NFL can fire him so that then you have less money to raise your child. I understand that's frustrating. It's a, it's a reason to not cooperate with the NFL. Um, and, and so I, I think that's why I always like to say, you know, this really comes back to who has the power. And these are just not investigations or systems created with non-players in mind. Non-players do not have a seat at the table. And so none of this is created with their well-being, their intentions in mind. And so when people try to spin it, you know, as um, and this comes, it came up with, you know, the Josh Brown investigation ages ago, too. Why won't why won't they cooperate? There's a lot of good reasons to not cooperate with the NFL and with any sports league investigation. And we just have to 
remember that, even if it is, you know, I can see the perspective of the frustrated fan who wants an answer. I, I grew up watching football. I get it. Um, but just because you want an answer doesn't mean, and it's another uncomfortable place to live. It doesn't mean that's what's in the best interest of the person involved. And they do have a right to look out for themselves, you know? Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of good reasons to not cooperate with the NFL. Yeah. And that, that was one of the things I learned a lot as well too, you know, from reading some of your stuff the past few days and that thread as well, that I, I did not know that personally that the NFL takes all the information, they hand it over to the player mm-hmm. and they say, this is what we found. Uh, and I guess they have to make a defense for themselves because the NFL is their own pretty much operating legal body that chooses what they're going to find you, how many games you're going to be suspended. And there's nobody that overlooks that. So there's no checks and balances that there. It's just whatever Roger Goodell says goes in the case of the NFL. Yeah. And that's why, you know, for a long time when uh, really up until what happened with Tom Brady, um, the, what the NFL was doing, you know, was, it was getting appealed they were suing and those were, were working, you know, um, it really is in some ways, you know, we, we've been talking about like, Oh, the criminal justice system. is so frustrating because it takes so long and it takes forever, but, you know, like we might not have an end result to these civil lawsuits in years. And that's just the normal, you know, in the criminal justice in civil court, you know, in all court. And, um, you know, but the flip side is when you have something like an NFL investigation, you're like, oh, this is great. They could move so fast. Well, why? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then what comes out when we see these fast-moving investigations? And I, and I know that's so frustrating. Because, um, and I, again, I understand the urge to be like, I want answers and I want them now. I, I'm a human being. I get it. You know? Uh, I, I have the same impulse. Um, but, yeah, just get, reaching a result quick and fast doesn't mean it's the right one. And and not just that, but then looking at, like, what was it based off of, you know, and who were they talking to um, and whose perspective was given weight. And, yeah, these NFL investigations and all my years of looking into them and, and writing about them. Um, and, again, not just with, with the NFL, um, with, with other leagues as well. Like, it's it's not exactly the same, but I've done reporting on, you know, Chauncey Phillips and the, the Trailblazers investigation or lack thereof before they hired him. Um, and you always have to wonder if these investigations are meant to be true investigations or if they're just meant to get a desired result. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know there are people who've been saying it, that sure appears to be what happened with Chauncey Phillips. Um, and I think you can see a similar dynamic here with the NFL where it's like, are they trying to reach a true, you know, what is best conclusion? Um, or are they just trying to get history has shown the NFL will just try to get the result that they think appeases the public in that moment. And that's it. You know, they're sticking a finger in the wind, you know, be like, all right, sounds like everyone will stop yelling at us if we suspend him for, let's say, you know, six games and, you know, X many game checks or whatever, you know, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, and I haven't found them, at least in my experience, to be anything more or less than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know the Brady thing was kind of like, well, they were, they cheated before, let's make sure they actually get punished this time. And nobody was happy. Like the people who didn't like the Patriots weren't happy. Patriots fans weren't happy because I felt like the whole thing was a witch hunt. But um, this is much more serious and drastic than that. Well, I know you have to get going here. I was going to ask you how you think this thing plays out, but I think I know the answer for you. It's I don't know. Um, and it's always, as, yeah, as we learned today, yeah, as we learned today, it's better to say I don't know than, uh, you know, especially when it comes to legal proceedings. But before you get out here, Diana, is there anything that you're working on at all? And uh, how can we read your work and find uh, more of what you have to write about? Yeah, uh, I do have some stuff I'm working on. Um, nothing I can quite like talk about just yet, but um, there it's, not about Deshaun Watson, but also you never know with the Deshaun Watson <laughs> story. I'm going to say that, and, you know, who, who knows? Uh, not, knock on, you know, wood or, you know, um, and all that jazz. Um, you know, the best way is uh, head over to Defector.com. That's the home of Defector Media. Read uh, where our subscription-based website. So if you really like it, please subscribe because your dollars help us keep the lights on and keep the keep the publication up quite literally. So yeah, best way is head over to defector.com and check us out. Yeah. I, I can't recommend it enough. Uh, I know Deadspin was fun, the previous aspect of it, but I think what you guys have made here has been, you know, better, you know, 
Oh, thank you. That's nice to hear. Thank you so much. Well, I hope you have a great evening, Diana. Thank you for talking to us yokels down here in Texas, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Oh, it's, it's been a good talk. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So, BFD, are you excited to answer some some world classic Texans listening questions? Wow. I saw some of them. So, let's go to it. Yeah, I'm pulling it up now. Do we need to, you know, you say phrasing when you say something like that at this point? No, I think we're all right. I think we got it. Um, I, I guess the biggest kind of thing, you know, from a Texans fan perspective about what Diana was speaking about tonight, I think the kind of the biggest thing I got out of it, and just, again, like this is not about the victims or, you know, Watson's reputation at all or anything involved with that. It's just kind of like the team as a whole. Because one of the questions I've kind of had about it is, like, what's the timetable here, you know? Like, if Watson sits out for the entirety of the season and they don't trade him this training camp, like, what does that mean for next season? Would Houston possibly be trading him and then he suspended, you know, trade him for a team who's going to trade for him and he's suspended for half the year, you know? Or they don't know, or he's suspended indefinitely and that sort of thing. And so how that could affect, I guess, like the team if something like that was to occur. But after you know, listen to Diana, I think it's kind of like he may not, if he's suspended, he might not be suspended for until 2026 or something like that. Like there's no like end inside all to this at all whatsoever. No, it's just, I think it's like the system's getting overwhelmed because it's one thing when you have Ezekiel Elliott and one accuser, I think it's something entirely different when um, you have 22, 23 different women involved. I mean, these are, this is a lot of stuff to parse through. You just can't make a decision quickly on this. Um, you know, she said it time and again, these take, these things are going to take a long time because these are, this is complicated and there's a lot of unknowns still. Mm-hmm. And I know I listened to that podcast that Mike Meltzer and Steph Stradley did earlier this year, whenever there was like 22 victims or uh, 22 accusations announced. And you know, they were talking about like Rusty Harden and Tony Busby strategies and they went into it. And it really kind of like the big thing out of it was that it was going to take a, a really long time. And now know this kind of additional information about the NFL and the way they do their suspensions and how they hand over evidence, I think it's going to take even longer than that. So if you're a Texans fan trying to think about what's going to happen with this like Watson timetable, I think if Houston doesn't trade them before the season starts, which they should do, there really isn't, like I guess, a concern that Watson would be suspended all for this year or even the 2022 season, um, especially just because of how long this kind of timetable is and how long it may even take for the Saints to even get to civil court let alone how long the civil court proceedings may even take before the victims and defendants would even want to hand the evidence over to the NFL at all whatsoever. Yeah. And I think that's the big sticking point. That's why I really wanted to, you know, her to talk about that is I I just can't imagine that, that, uh, uh, Busby is that stupid to say, Oh yeah, here you go. NFL. Here's all our stuff. I mean, that would just be off the chart. Stupid. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what I was coming to think too about Busby is that there was a lot of, whenever the allegations first came out, a lot of people dismissed it because of who the lawyer was. And I don't know anything about like Houston's lawyers and all like that, but I know Busby's kind of like a, I guess a really egregious figure and really gargarious, and there's a lot of like better call Saul to him that a lot of people didn't take it really as a, like for, for truth or fact at all when it first came out. And again, like I don't know, it's always a good thing to say. And then, you know, even though I know what Diana said, that there shouldn't be a number or whatever until you uh, see it. But, like, I guess considering that and people in the know and the fact there's 22 of them, it kind of, I think, swayed this thing a whole lot as well, too, as far as public opinion of Deshaun Watson goes. Yeah, it's like I told my son when it started happening. It's like, if there's a number two, watch out. If there's a number three, we're going to be in oh crap territory pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's still, I mean, again, like whatever your opinion is of it, it's just kind of opinion right now. We don't know, you know what happened from the perspectives that we have. We just know what these women have, you know, Seb Watson has done and not done. Um, but it is like, it's just, I guess really the biggest thing is just up in the air. Like it's a really just a, a big purgatory right now. Yeah. And it's not, and there's not going to be, it's not going to be resolved anytime soon at all whatsoever. Uh, so to start off some of these listener questions, the first one we have is from, at Javier J. Chapa one, uh, one of the best friends of the show. And he said, not a question, just a statement. But Deshaun Watson did more damage to this franchise than both Bill O'Brien and Jack Eastbury combined. And because of his actions, this team has taken a massive step back. He turned what would be a, a quick turnaround into a full-on rebuild 
but nobody really wants to talk about that. So do you agree I, I, with Javi on this one? I don't agree with Javi on this one. I think that when you talk about Bill O'Brien systematically, you know, dismantling the talent on the team for, for roughly two and a half years, you know, thanks Brian Gain had a big helping hand in that. I think those two did a lot. Now what you're counting on is you're counting on not having to deal with the quarterback position because that's the most important position on the field. But yeah, Deshaun Watt, there are so many levels here. Like there's the Cal McNair level. There's the Jack Easterby level. There's the Bill O'Brien level. There's the Deshaun Watson level. I mean, I don't really know outside of Bill, who's the one I would put at the top of that, and maybe Cal, who who did more damage. But Watson's not helping. I mean, it's 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 not like he has an out on this. It's like I'm not completely disagreeing with your statement. This isn't helping. Yeah, I think like O'Brien Easterby did the most damage, and I think all Watson did his trade request was just like raise it all to the ground. And then in addition to you know the allegations that came too, but like I think he's right here that. You know, with Watson, you're able to play football and playing football as bad as the talent level is. If you have a top five quarterback, the turnaround's usually pretty quick. You know, and uh, and like even with the Wentz injury, you know, I think the Titans the best team in the division. I wasn't really expecting the Colts to be able to go with Wentz, and I think the Jaguars are still like a year away. Like Houston could have been a playoff team this year with Watson, with Tyrod Taylor and Davis Mills. You now we're talking about a one-two win team instead of probably what could be like a, a nine or ten win team. And so I do think like this would have been a quick turnaround if he was if he agreed to stay on. But you know that's part of the fault of this the Houston Texans. And now you know Watson's in the state that he is in. You know it's kind of like his fault as well too that he's wasted you know, years of what should be like a you know an excellent career between his injury, the allegations, his trade request, and you know playing for Bill O'Brien too. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just think what. I, I've been thinking about this question quite a bit lately is, is from like 2017 through 2021. I don't think I've ever seen a team fall apart as badly as the Houston Texans did. And you can say, Oh, they were good in 2018. Yeah. But we all knew that was just, that was a joke. And then 2019 happened. Um, I'm sorry. And then 2020 happened, but I mean, this team is just like finding every way to make itself look worse and worse, either talent wise or publicity wise. I, I just can't, I mean, firing Amy Palsic, even these little things are, have added up to make the Texans just an, an absolutely embarrassing franchise. Yeah. And I think kind of the funny thing about it too, it's like how insular they are throughout as well. Right. Like they, they keep making, they keep cloistering themselves more and more every time they get the opportunity to do so, whether it's, the newest thing of only allowing season ticket holders to training camp. Um, they've been doing everything they can to control their narrative. And like, you know, objectively they're very bad and very dumb and very stupid. And, you know, something that we've been kind of saying for, for years now, as you, as you know, and they've relied on the talent, but then once you lose all your talent, you kind of have nothing left. And now you have uh, a culture that, you know, at least people like playing for David Cole, I guess is the only good thing. The next question here is from at the Mike Ram three, three, five. He said, do you think we will watch him progress and then get him out on the field was one, just short-sighted and thought it would work, or two, they assumed the trade was imminent so didn't think they would need excuses this long. Why waste time pretending with no intention of actually playing Watson? And of course, he's alluding to what they've done with him in training camp, with him playing four-team safety to taking reps as a four-string quarterback uh, to you know being masked completely and covering his face and he comes on the practice field. I, I think with this, to me, what this speaks to is this speaks of the big daddy culture that the Texans are trying to establish with uh, Jack Easterby and, and Cal McNair. These are the big daddies. We, we're your, uh, we are your rulers and you know, all the rumors that Easterby was like literally following people and hiring PIs to follow players. I think it's that very much heavy head and a top down kind of management that they're trying to implement on the team. When they talk about culture, it's that we are your big daddy and you're going to listen to us no matter what. Um, and it's very, I can't think of a polite way to say it, but it's 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 a very heavy-handed culture that is going to backfire against most players who don't believe in those sorts of things, right? Don't believe that everything comes top-down. Um, so I, I think it's just pure, straight-up childishness and immaturity on the part of the Texans to treat Watson the way that they have. Either man up and tell him he's not going to play, or you put him out there where he needs to be in QB1 and let him take it. Because you know what, if you're looking at Tyrell Taylor and Davis Mills as your QB one, and you're trying to, you're you're just you're wasting everybody's freaking time. 
Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I kind of like it. I think, like, you know, if you're saying you're only here, so you say $50,000 a day, and you know, you're suiting up for that reason alone, like, either, like, fake an injury and sit down and watch, or uh, or if you're going to be out there practicing, like, you don't, you have no desire to be here. You're here to save money. I'm I'm all for putting Watson at four-string quarterback and him, you stand there as a deep middle safety, because it was, like, a decision that he made requesting a trade here, and the other thing about his trade request, like we talked about a lot, like Watson is not without fault in what happened with the team. He signed an extension with Bill O'Brien, Jack Easterby. He said on the podium, I love that man. I do anything for that man. He talked all the time about how much he loves the culture of the Texans and the coaching staff that he had. And then, you know, that all changed around unexpectedly this past year, but he still signed a long-term contract to be here, you know? And like he had multiple opportunities, whether after they traded Jadavion Clowney or after they traded... DeAndre Hopkins or after JJ Watt and O'Brien were fighting to like come up and say something. We don't know if he did necessarily, but it didn't seem like he did all whatsoever and kind of voices grievances, you know, through the media at all. And he had all these opportunities to do so and didn't. And then the team fell apart and they're in the spot that they're in. And I think he is like indirectly, you know, that's his fault as well too. And so I do think like because of the situation or thing and him showing up, I think him playing for safety is uh, by far the funniest way to do it. And I kind of like it. <laughs> I would just, I would just be more upfront. Uh, to me, it makes the Texans look very unprofessional. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very like for me sitting here uh, four hours away. It's hilarious. But yeah, if I was running a professional football team, I'd say just go hang out in the weight room. You know, if you're going to be here, if you're trying to save money, just go do that. Or stand right. there on the sideline, wear shorts, you know, and and train your teammates until you decide you actually want to practice. Yeah. Um, the next question here is from at found of Houston sports, HOU sports, another friend of the podcast. He asked, what would be reason, what would be a reasonable turnovers credit goal for the defense based on Levy's Levy system and the talent they have on defense last year. They're horrendous at it, but reports from training camp indicate they're playing fast or linebackers are doing well too. Um, if you forgot, the Texans had two interceptions last year. And I think this is off the top of my head. I think they recovered five fumbles, but they were last in the league in turnovers force. Uh, Lovey Smith is known for telling guys to punch the football and that sort of thing whenever he's in Chicago and his other stops too. Do you think the Texans are going to you know, force more turnovers this year? And what would be a reasonable number for them? Uh, so everybody punches the football now. I mean, that was may have been Lovey Smith's you know invention, so to speak, with uh, with Peanut Tillman, but everybody punches the football. Every team teaches that. Even college teams teach that. It's not like this all of a sudden this is – you know, only Levy Smith teaches his guys to create turnovers. That's if you talk to any defensive coordinator in the NFL, their number one goal is to create turnovers. Um, so I, I kind of chuckle at that a little bit. Um, as far as them playing faster, is it the, is because who they're playing against the offense? I mean, we're talking the 32nd ranked offense by DVOA versus what the 31st or 32nd best defense. So you know, no, the defense might be better than that, but we're talking like the offense is like literally one of the worst offenses I can remember. Yeah. They have two guys who should be out on the field starting at any one point in time right now. So I, I just don't, you know, it's going to be a tough back and forth between like, is the defense that good or is the offense that poor, you know, what's a realistic number of turnovers? Seven's pretty low. I'm going to go eight. Well, I, I think like 14 because that's usually average. And like teams who don't force a lot of turnovers tend to force more turnovers the following year, you know? Like I think like just because like just the way regression works. But I think one of the funny things about the training camp stuff is like Nico Collins is already a pro's pro. Look at the touchdown when he burned John Reed. John Reed played 37 snaps last year. He's a fifth-round pick. Like, I, yeah, he should do that, you know? And it's just funny like seeing like the – the hafaing about like guys beating up on players who are bad. But I do think like Vern Hargraves picking up Davis Mills is very funny. And like them, like, oh, the front seven looks great. They're sacking Davis Mills left and right. It's like, yeah, he doesn't know how to play football. <laughs> he, he doesn't know how to play professional football. What do you think? Yeah, that should happen, you know? And so it's funny, like, whenever you have bad players playing against bad players, like, yeah, they look good amongst, you know, uh, a row, I guess a row of turds, you know? Right, right. There's the, the you know, the, the thinnest kid at that uh, fat camp kind of thing. You know, the yeah. prettiest girl in Oklahoma, you know. Guy, I hate Oklahoma. Uh-huh. Uh, the next question here is from at Chris D. Hogan. Or no, Chris Dogan. My fault, Chris. He said, I'm not familiar with the new coaching staff. Do you think Watson would be a good fit for the system? 
or will it be more of the same where he has to adjust the coach's style? And what's up, BFD, to everyone else at Battle Red Blog? Um, and I guess you can even add this to Tyrod Taylor or Davis Mills because it does not seem like Watson's going to be uh, the head coach. And so it doesn't really matter if he's a good fit for the system or not. Right. And so the system, I, I'm guessing, is going to be pretty darn the same. I mean, Titus Howard even came out this week and said, yeah, it's the same system. And he said it with the, all the um, – I, I didn't even know – like the dude you could tell was just not fired up about doing just the same old thing. So it's going to be Tim Kelly's offense. And it's going to be, it's going to be the same thing that we saw after Bill O'Brien was fired last year. So it's going to be, and I bet you it's going to be straight from the playbook of, of Bill O'Brien. It's going to be establish the run at all costs and then eventually throw the ball when you have to. But you know what? The Texans, if Mills or Taylor is quarterback, the last thing they should be doing is trying to push the ball downfield. Yeah, they'd be the perfect opponent for the 2018 Texans to play against. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think, like, Tim Kelly was better than O'Brien was as far as running an offense goes. But, like, yeah, that being said, like, it's the same system. It's the same system. And then Tim Kelly, after everything that happened last year, what he learned was we got to run the football more after being 32nd in DVOA, which is always good to see. But, I, yeah, like, a Taylor and Mills are the quarterback. It's run the ball 45 times. I think all four running backs are going to make the roster. I think Burkhead, Johnson – Ingram and Lindsay are all going to make the roster. I think all four tight ends are going to make the roster because they're just going to play heavy and try to do some run stuff and then maybe, you know, play 11 personnel whenever Davis Mills comes in like week six or whatever ends up being. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to set football back to 1930. It, it really, because I don't think they have much of a choice. And, and that was, I can't remember who said it earlier, uh, late last week, I think. It was that, it was something the effect of, our number one job is to establish. It was an offensive lineman. Our number one job is to establish yeah, the running control. Yeah, Justin Brent was the one saying that. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. And that's... and and like from an offensive line perspective, yeah, that's fine. Like that's the mentality you should have. Like that's your job, and like, that's the most important thing is so you're there to do that. But like from a play caller standpoint, you know, it's not necessarily the same thing. No, that's not how you win football games. That, when Patrick Mahomes is throwing, is putting twenty eight up on you on the in the first half alone against your crappy defense, you cannot be establishing the run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're going to run the ball 45 times a game. I watched the video from Tyrod Taylor last year against the Bengals. I watched it like the condensed game. I was like, all he did was just throw like eyes closed heaves up to Mike Williams and just killed him seven times. But uh, not very good runner at all anymore. He's going to be, I think, 33 years old this year. 33? Yeah, like yeah. not the type of guy you want running like a super run-heavy offense. And so they can try to do some Baltimore sort of things, but... Um, I'm not really buying it all. But the good thing, though, about David Coley, he played, he coached in Buffalo, he coached in Kansas City, he coached in Baltimore. He knows what works, and he's going to take all three into make a fusion you know, Mexican-Asian uh, hamburger <laughs> restaurant and uh, turn this into a great offense on his own, too. Yeah, and then I'm going to point to the quote of the Ravens wide receivers since training camp going, yeah, we've never been more fired up before. Yeah, the co- we actually know what we're doing. We're running drills that make sense That's now. Right. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. fun. Uh, the next question is from at Houston Houdini, another really good friend of the podcast. Number one, how have your opinions of Watson evolved between the, the DeAndre Hopkins trade and the Deshaun Watson extension to now today at training camp? I don't have the words. I, I when we when uh, Diana joined the call, and we were you know chatting up a little bit. I made the comment that fifty-year-old guys shouldn't have heroes, and Deshaun Watson was like a hero. Man, he, he treated everybody well. He was popular he had this great reputation he had a reputation as a, as a fighter on the field I, I i thought he played smart football i thought he played intelligent football and he was a wonder to watch and it was just like having my football heart ripped out this offseason and i don't you know get it i get it i shouldn't have heroes at this point but hey you know when i was a child my uh my baseball hero is cesar Cedeno, and he killed two wives so at least that's an upgrade so you know, you really know how a, to pick them. <laughs> I really know how to pick them. Oh my God. I remember when my friend called me from the DR and said, Jeff, you're not going to believe what happened. Anyway, tell me about the second wife. Um, um, anyway, um, it, it's, it's, I feel, I feel betrayed. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, my baseball hero growing up was Michael Young. And from him, I learned to pay my bills on time. And how to tuck my shirt in. <laughs> how to always show up on time, how to cut my hair nice and short and stay clean except for, you know, the past two weeks like today. But I learned a lot from Michael Young. (laughs) 
Not, and especially how to treat your wife nicely, too. De- yeah, definitely not how to hit. Yeah. Well, hey, no. Oh. He had 200 hits multiple times. Uh, yeah. Multiple times. It's a very difficult thing to hit. He hit very well. Now, he wasn't a good fielder in his older age, but he could always hit at least like a single to right center field. The next question is from at Smooth Grandma, another really good friend of the podcast. Yeah. Which is the smart move? Having super controversial, doesn't want to be here pending legal matters slash league suspension person at practice or suspending slash grain leave of absence to set person and remove distraction slash weird vibe. <laughs> I, it's a great question. And we, we kind of hit upon it a little bit. I, I uh, if I'm the Texans, I have to, I have to make a choice. This is the way I feel. And I, I went over it, either be professional, be like a child. And I, if I, if I was running the Texans, Texans, I would absolutely say, we're not going to find you stay at home. Yeah. Yeah, I I see that, and like wording it like that too makes it absolutely hilarious. Like, there's this very like ridiculous thing. It's like a normal like human response, and of course, the text is the ridiculous thing. Again, personally, you me over here not being associated with the team. I like the ridiculous thing. Um, and the next question from him was, how many seconds after the Buffalo Bills move to Austin will it take for <laughs> me to follow them? Well, I I do want to say. I don't like the city of Austin. I like going there every once in a while to see a concert, but every time I go there, I'm very excited to to go back home. So I don't know. As much as I love Josh Allen, I would rather, I think I would just kidnap him and drive him down I-35 and create my own football league instead. That whole that whole thing was just so ridiculous. I mean, Austin, number one, would not or and could not support an NFL football team. Number two, where would we put a stadium? It wouldn't be in Austin. It'd be like It'd be next to the airport or something. Yeah, I mean, the whole premise was just it's just so beyond. So, I mean, here's the thing about Houston. I grew up in Houston. Houston is wired to have a big stadium. It's got the freeway infrastructure to have big stadiums. They built it around there. Uh, you know, 610 was built in my lifetime or it was finished in my lifetime. I mean, they had, they did the city to do that. Austin does not have that infrastructure. There is no freaking way we can get a hundred thousand people to, um, Royal Memorial. We can do that because it's right off 35, but 30,000 of those people are walking to the stadium. So yeah, they're parking two miles away and walking to it. Yeah, well, you got twenty thousand students who are walking to the games, so it's just it's not made to do that, and it's it wouldn't happen. It would never. We could not right now um, support either an NFL or a major league baseball franchise in Austin as the city is right now. If they played in Kyle, I could be a Bills fan. If they played in Buda, I could be a (laughs) Bills fan. If they played in like. I don't know. They play in Round Rock. I don't know. That that's an awful drive. Probably the worst drive in America is from San Antonio to Round Rock at like five o'clock. It takes yeah. it takes three hours. It's completely terrible. But yeah, I I mean it's the same thing that like every team does this to try to get what they want. They say if you don't give us what we want, they pick a city and they say we're gonna move the team unless we unless uh, you give us our demands and remove the, this city. And every I mean it was Los Angeles for the longest time until the Chargers moved there. And the Rams moved there, and I guess now Austin's going to be that city, even though I don't think the city would even, you know, accept a football team there to begin with. Yeah, it, it, just use San Antonio. San Antonio's got the infrastructure; they could do it. Yeah, I, I don't. I would love to watch. Well, I, I just here's the problem though: Josh Allen, the Alamo Dome is like putting a roof over heaven. You know, it'd be <laughs> it'd be disgusting to watch him play in that cinder block, you know, fallout shelter. So. Uh, if they built a new outdoor stadium, then yeah, we could do it. We'd be fine. Oh, Call them the good. gunslingers after the old Canadian football team. Yeah, and just just hand the mosquitoes all the food they need. We don't have that many mosquitoes here. It's been, it's been a bad summer, but not in the winter time or fall. Yeah, it's not it's been terrible. Bad. Yeah, it's been really this year here. So the last question's from at Blue oh, Hog oh, Report. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you go to that one, we missed one for uh, Houston Houdini. What lessons? Can we take away from Watson's game to help us identify the next the heir apparent after him? Because oh, I thought this bad. might be yeah, yeah that's a good I thought one. this would be fun. Like this year, I'm just gonna be watching all the quarterbacks. Um, there's a dude named Spencer Rattler, and it sounds like a name from Madden. And so I'm totally rooting for this guy to be the next one because I want to root for a guy named Rattler. 
Like it, it sounds like he was made to play football in Houston in like a 1980s football movie. It's beautiful. Um, it's it's perfect. Yeah, I love it. I've never watched him play before. All I know is he goes to OU. But yeah, I'm excited to watch Spencer Rattler this year. I'm excited for that and a root against Bill O'Brien. Yeah, <laughs> that's gonna bring bring me great joy. I, did I already hate it, Alabama. I well, I went there this summer to Gulf Shores and we had a lot of fun and uh, I had a really good time there. So I kind of like Alabama, but with Bill O'Brien being down there, you know, I'm excited for against him for this upcoming season. I think the big thing about Watson, though, and like thinking about what he does for the future, I think accuracy. Like he's one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the league, and it was never a question from the very beginning how accurate he was. His ability to throw the ball downfield, which again, like younger quarterbacks, you kind of see it. You saw Josh Allen, and it sometimes takes him a few years to develop that skill to have good downfield accuracy. Um, Lamar Jackson's kind of going through that right now as well, too, and has been for the last two seasons, too. But like his ability to throw the ball downfield, and the third thing's just mobility, you know, like the ability to create something out of nothing. And I think, like, if you look at those three traits and kind of go down from there, it's like everything that you want in a, in a modern, a postmodern NFL quarterback. It's all part of it. I mean, and he, the other thing he's got is a willingness to push the ball downfield. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From the very beginning, so, too. Like his rookie from year from the beginning. beginning. Yeah. So he's, he's, that's the problem with Watson is he's, you know, I could have seen him with the proper support as, as literally a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah. And, and even without it, he'd probably be a Hall of Fame quarterback. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm really getting, um, having something taken away from me as far as that goes. I mean, I'm, I'm a lifelong Houston Oiler, Houston Texan fan. I'm used to failure. This one hurts. Mm-hmm. Well, I think part of it too, it's like being a fan. Like I try to watch every you know, football game through condensed version, but there's something different about like watching the same team, you know, week in, week out. And you know, like, well, even if they're not that good, we still get 16 Watson games. And this year it's like, how many times do I get to see Kyle Boring's biceps? What position is Ross Blacklock going to play? How bad is Vernon Hargraves going to be week one when he ends up starting against the Jacksonville Jaguars? Like those are things that we have instead of like, you know, seven throws or, you know, three plays that you've never seen before. Like Watson was able to consistently do like turn Brand cooks into a great wide receiver by making throws. Nobody else could throw, you know, and we don't even have JJ Watt. Yeah. This year. Hey, I mean, it's this... Charles Omenu's team. Now it's Omenu's <laughs> team. He passed the torch over. Oh boy. Uh, and so our last question tonight is from at Blue Hog Report, as you know, as MDC. When you imagine that, when you imagine that inappropriate touching would bring down the team, you imagine involve Houston diehards, as you know, as Dyer Chris and not Watson, didn't you? Uh, I thought it was going to be Tim. <laughs> 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 oh, I guess we probably shouldn't joke about that. Um... No, it's all fine. But yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very good joke. And, you know, we tried to get Die Hard Chris on the podcast last week. He was busy. And so any jokes that can be made as expense, we have to. And so, yeah, I did. I thought if the team was brought down by inappropriate touch, you can beat Die Hard Chris and not Deshaun Watson. God. I mean, how do you – I've been to a masseuse many times. I mean, I can't – there was never at any point in time I thought to myself, I want her to finger bang me. Like I never thought that, but yeah, yeah that that cross just on Watson's mind is every time I want he went there. The the thing it's like what the oh my god, I don't I I can't even process what he was asking for. I just can't. It's I mean, crazy. Really, like I don't know. Like I I try to like I can't really come up with anything that makes any sense for aside from like unless he just didn't know the typical behavior in a situation like that, how you should act. Like that's really like the only thing I could think of as like a normal, rational human being that makes any sense from like a, that perspective. Of, but really it's just like, he's probably just, this is what he got off on, you know? And he took advantage of it because of his your fame and accolades and everything else. I just can't. Yeah. Because I mean, number one, he's huge. Number two, he's in a position of power. Number three, he's rich. I mean, it's 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 like he took advantage of the the three worst things he could have taken advantage of, which was that. Yeah, but I'm I don't know. I'm like I'm interested, I guess, to see what happens in the next season because I don't think they're going to trade him, and they shouldn't. I know like there's been some ideas that there's a trade package that you know you can't pass up, but like I think it would only be 
Like if you trade to to a team where they had another pick and that team could probably be really bad and that could be a top five pick would be the only thing that makes sense. But unless and I think the Giants are the only team that could really maybe even offer that, you know? Where they they I think they I can't remember the exact pick they own, but they own a bad team's first round pick and maybe they could flip that and make that top five pick if that other team is bad. Um, but there really just isn't a package out there that makes any sense at all. So I, I'm guessing that he's going to be here for the entire year, and then they're going to trade him next offseason, and he won't be suspended for you know, a long time if he is at all. Oh, the the Giants have the Bears' first-round pick. And so maybe the, oh, Bears, right. maybe the Bears have a top-seven pick. Like, I know Fields is good, but you expect that defense to be a little bit worse again. And, and I don't really like uh, Nagy's offense very much either, so maybe that could be a high pick if it comes down to it. Yes, or we can get that that you're a brown and white dog because that dog is awesome at gnawing the face of the other dog. Yeah, that's the, that's the big mama. <laughs> that's that's a great skill set to have. Yeah, they're very funny. <laughs> um, well, I, I, that's all I got for now. I know we've been trying to Dyer Chris and I've been trying to do a 53 man roster podcast. My good friend Taylor and I've been previewing the NFL. Um, there's no game pass at all, so some of the things I wanted to write like Titus Howard's ready to make the leap at right tackle or. Um, you know, the eight most interesting teams this season, whatever I can't, it makes it hard to do without the clips and stuff. So I always have to close my eyes and, and try to do some stuff instead, but we have the podcast though in the meantime, and that'll probably be where most of the energy is devoted to until the season kicks off. Yep. So until next time, I'm Matt Weston. Thank you for listening to Bellwood Radio. Thank you for being on Snipe BFT and we'll see you next time. All right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.